Welcome back to Recorded Conversations, the podcast that's dedicated to compassionately considering all perspectives while engaging in authentic, connected dialogue. I'm Danielle Kingstrom. Episode 21 welcomes back Will Rucker. He is a pastor in Las Vegas, Nevada, as well as a speaker, a life coach, and just a pretty cool guy. We discuss how do we show each other how to love. We discuss controversial topics where Will says there's no such thing as evil and everything is love. He says something that kind of makes me pull back a little bit, but after he explains it, even though I haven't really wrapped my head around it just yet, because trust me, you'll know what I'm talking about when you hear him say it. It was something that I really had to think about. More importantly, something I think that we all maybe are lacking in is when we hear something so boldly stated to us that we've never heard stated to us in such a way before. Our reactionary self wants to reject it, dismiss it, pull it apart, judge it, criticize it, you name it. And what follows is usually we look at that person in a similar negative way. So before you get reactionary, before you let your ego get the best of you, brace yourselves. We're going to talk about some thick topics. We're going to talk a little jazz. We're going to talk a little bit about letting people take advantage of the system. And Will boldly states that we should all boldly recognize with confident humility that we are all God. Enjoy today's episode. very different it's just at a different stage so while you can hold two different viewpoints intention and be able to see the validity of both sides others are like oh no this is questioning my identity this is mm. this this belief is the core of who i am and so it's almost as if they're dying if they change their mind yeah yeah i totally agree i just recently too started kind of having to like remind myself that the messages that we send out that we want other people to re- to receive aren't wrong. It's just that the ones that are willing to receive a message will. And yes. there's a lot of people out there that just aren't ready to receive any messages that contradict or confront what they believe and what they've always believed to be true. And it's like we it's especially crippling for us right now because we have this amazing technology that allows us to have all of this information we never would have had and to have it all thrust in our faces. It's like, I don't know what to do with it. And so it's easier for a lot of people to go, you know what? I'm good in my box. Don't come in my box. Don't Mm -hmm. mess with my box. And I don't want to see your box. And other people are like, I don't want to be in a box. I want to explore all the boxes. And it's just (laughs) so many of us don't understand why other people are like that because we're being connected to out-of-box thinkers and people who don't want to have a box. And we're over here going, I thought boxes were good. What's going on? And so we're all just kind of living in this big experiment. And 
And we, we really need to just pull back and be like, if you know what, if you're ready to receive this, receive it. If you're not, I'm going to, uh, good luck to you. I'm going to move on. And I am going to give this message to someone who's willing to receive it. And, and also when you're willing to share a message, you have to be re- willing to receive a message back too. You know, I was just reading in Living Buddha, Living Christ. And a pre, uh, someone's book that I was reading made me think of this book and just this idea of what true dialogue is. Mm-hmm. And and I shared a picture of it, to, uh, a screenshot of that bo- of that page of the book too, because I was like, "Yes, true dialogue is the is is the willingness to change." Like you go into I a dialogue because you want to change, you want your mind changed, and if you're both aren't entering into that, it's like why waste the energy? Yeah. The other side of that is the fact that we have so much information so easily accessible and available that it is essentially devalued because a person with a doctorate degree is now competing with someone that's doing a Google search. And it's like, I see the meme all the time, your Google search doesn't negate my degree or something like that. You've seen it, I'm sure. But the thing that's really real about that is because there is so much information, we have to find a new way or a more effective way to communicate it or it does get lost. So Mm -hmm. if it's not... If it's not relevant at that moment in that person's scenario at that time, then not only are they resistant, but they are actually um, almost threatened by new information because it's so much available. And then who do you believe? Exactly. And, you know, of course, we live in the age of fake news mm-hmm. and all of these things, which the news has always been fake. Like, yeah. it's, <laughs> it's, this is nothing new. Like, it's always been marketing and clickbait and all these things because you have to catch someone's attention. Mm-hmm. And what's the best way to do that? You give them something that's uncomfortable. Yeah. You give them something that's jarring or that's wild. I mean, Michael Jackson is one of my heroes. I love his music. I love his artistry. And I love how he played the media you know, throwing in those stories of of his own creation Mm -hmm. so that he'd be in the tabloids. And that's what you kind of have to do. And I'm I'm learning this. The thing that I think I do that offends the most people is when I'm objective Mm -hmm. and when I'm neutral. And they're like, wait a minute, you're not taking sides. So you must be on the opposite side of me because you're not taking my side. And I'm like, I'm actually on your side, but what you're saying right now is stupid. <laughs> so you just have to point that out. I love that. I love it. Yeah, it is hard to, to, to be objective when we're seduced by the media because they thrive off of our subjective reaction. Mm-hmm. And they thrive off of pulling us out of consciousness and into kind of a, a subconscious anger where we have to direct hatred and we're pulling ourselves out of the moment on top of it. And I think that's what I hate most about technology is it pulls us from the present moment. And the more time we spend away from the present moment, the harder it is for us to be objective and to be present and to listen or read and absorb in the way that we do on social media in such a way that we're understanding the other. And that's, I I know that's something that you, uh, constantly seem to implement into your sermons, into your speeches is, is the idea of always making sure that we're present because when we're present, we're not being controlled by the ego and we're able to really kind of be aware of the moment that we're in and to respond in love. And it's really hard to do that on social media. So I'm curious, what are, what are some things that, that you do like for yourself at home when you're, you're, you're getting goaded into an argument and you're like, okay, you know what? I need to sit back and chill 
what what are some of the things that you do to pull yourself back into the present moment so you can respond in love? You know, the biggest thing that I do is I de-other that person. And I just intentionally say, what is it that they're trying to communicate? And I, I take off the teacher hat or the guru hat, and I try to put on the student hat and say, what what can I glean? What How did I miss something here? Because as a communicator, there are always, you know, a million messages that are received from one stream of communication. And I'm like, how can I consolidate some of those so that what I'm saying matches more closely to what I intend for people to hear? Mm-hmm. And when it gets heated or intense, sometimes I'm just like, okay. <laughs> and I leave it alone. Because mm-hmm. when I recognize that a person is not going to be able to hear at that moment, then it's a waste of my energy. And I think even back to the scripture, don't cast your pearls before swine. Mm. And and that's not degrading. It's just saying, yeah. don't waste your, your energy and your, your precious things that you spent thousands of hours studying or in meditation about or contemplating on someone that just doesn't want to hear you because of whatever label they've given you. Yeah. And they could hear the exact same sentence from someone else and then receive it. You know, and that's yeah. the other thing that I've learned and that, I appreciate by having so many different types of relationships is I'm learning to plant seeds in people that are influencers so that the way they think can be shifted and change and the, the actions they take change. And that keeps me inspired and uplifted. Um, sometimes I do just have to disconnect and just go take a bath. <laughs> like That's my special place. I've got my crystals around the tub. I you know, have my essential oils and I have my little bubble engine thing in the tub. And I just have to sit back and relax because that I'm like, yeah, good. this is too much. I, I have to I have to get myself present. I love that you use water. Water is so purifying sometimes. It's like you can yes. go have a mini rebirth. Exactly. And I'm a Pisces. So that water oh, side. My that... husband's a Pisces too. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. My husband's a Pisces. It said we were be incompatible. I'm a Sagittarian. But oh, wow. Okay, our, yeah. our water and fire are balanced. So go figure that out. Yes. <laughs> yeah. So you, um, you are passionate about, um, I would, from my perspective, you seem to be passionate about drawing attention and awareness to wealth inequality and how we should, um, I guess, more or less figure out ways to remedy this or at least be aware of it and see where we can contribute. And um, so before the show, my husband had a question for you specifically regarding that, because we all have we have the same we have the same wants and desires as well. Um, But where we get stuck is how how do we ensure and accomplish that the desire to treat people equally is done out of love Mm -hmm. and not out of force and coercion? And I'm only asking you because I know that you were you are still probably are a fan of Marianne Williamson. And she led the charge during her campaign um, to, to to take a different approach with politics through love. And I know a lot of people laughed at that and thought it was like weird and woo-ha and mystical stuff. But I and, and I mean, I even kind of was like, I don't know about that. But then I started really paying attention to what she was saying. And I'm like, she has a point. And, we, and, and if we are going to be political, we should try and transform what it looks like. And then... Um, I know that a few years back, you gave kind of a speech about like, who would Jesus vote for and what should we look for in a leader? And so what approaches do you think through through the lens that you see politics and, and, and voting? Do we get there in ensuring that people are 
are treated with dignity and integrity and that their needs are met without it becoming this taxation or fine or threat of force or some kind of government coercion process that makes other people feel alienated from the process. And I'm sure you know the types who think about they don't want to pay for other people who aren't willing to work harder or do this or do that. And so to kind of appease their fears as well, like how do we accomplish something like that through love? Here's the thing. I have a very Star Trekian viewpoint. And what I mean by that is my mom was a huge Trekkie and all of this. So in their society, money wasn't really a thing. Like mm-hmm. they didn't have a lack of any basic human necessity or, or want. Everyone just really had what they needed. And so their currency, in a sense, was living out their purpose and discovering new lands and expanding their consciousness. And so I think that we could be there in 2020 and call it a day. When I look at, uh, I looked at a special on Netflix, I actually think it might have been you that recommended it, but it was uh, about billionaires and how many thousands of billionaires there are. And a billion is a thousand million. So it's this number that literally blows my mind every time I think about a billion. And we have several billionaires here in Las Vegas. And I'm like, yeah, we also have a homelessness problem. This Mm. does not compute. How do you have people with a thousand, excuse me, a thousand million dollars and homeless people in the same town? Mm -hmm. So it, it comes back to perspective and a person's state of consciousness. If a person is based in fear and lack and has this idea that we don't have enough, then that's how they're going to act. Mm-hmm. They're going to say, I'm not paying for anyone else to sit there and be lazy because I had to work for mine. Mm-hmm. And here's the thing that a lot of people forget. They started on third base. They started off with, with a safety net. They started off with, shoot, uh, you know, white skin. And mm-hmm. I know that that can be kind of polarizing to say, but that's an advantage in the world we live in. Mm-hmm. And so when you don't recognize where you actually started, you can then begin to look down upon those that haven't reached the point you've reached. Thinking, just honestly thinking with no ill will, you started at the same place and had the same opportunity. Mm-hmm. And you simply did not. So I am not one that suggests taking all the billions from the billionaires. Like that's, I don't think that that's a loving approach. Mm-hmm. I think what would be more effective is simply to raise all of our consciousness by by reflecting what we want to see. So for someone that has a $100,000 income, we'll say, how much of their income are they actually contributing to those with less than them? For someone that has 20000 what are they actually doing with those dollars? How are they actually living? And maybe they don't have dollars to contribute, but maybe they have time. Are they, you know, helping others? Are they keeping their front porch swept? Literally, yeah. like, is their house clean? You know, mm-hmm. so thinking about some different things that everyone can kind of start with that makes them feel like a human being, number one, and then doesn't demonize anyone for being successful. Mm-hmm. Like the other part of success, though, and I, I, I do believe if we don't create a technology tax, we're going to implode. And that's because people are not actually, the wealthiest among us are not working or producing. Like your family produces something in exchange Mm -hmm. for what you get. 
someone else created an idea or took advantage of a technological advancement that then just generates wealth. Mm. There's a a statement that says taking $100 to $110 is work, but taking $100 million to $110 million is inevitable. And that's very, very true, um, just based on on the way our interest works. Like you can put a a million dollars in the bank and get a savings account. You're going to get several percent interest just in a traditional checking account because of the dollar amount you deposited. A person with a couple thousand is going to get like 0.001% interest, negligible. So the whole system itself doesn't lend itself to equality Mm. or more important to equity. And I don't think everyone is quote unquote equal or should be given equal whatever, but it should be equitable. Mm. And so I, I'm really, uh, this, this is a hard one. I'm, I'm passionate about wealth inequality, not because I think that wealth is, is evil. My dad made a million dollars a year. Like that's, it's not uncommon for me. I'm, I'm used to quote unquote mm-hmm. wealth, but my dad grew up in the projects in a one bedroom house with seven brothers and sisters. Like that's his start. So, and he would always take me to where he grew up and then he would take me to his customers' homes who lived much more lavishly than we did. So I could see the disparity. Then he would take me to the soup kitchen so that I would volunteer and feed the homeless. Mm. And then he would take me to, you know, a gala so I could rub elbows with, you know, the well-to-do because he wanted me to understand people are people are people. So until we recognize that money doesn't make a person who they are, it just magnifies who they are, then we're always going to try to fix something that can't be fixed. If you took a billion dollars from Jeff Bezos and gave it to the homeless, alcoholic, drug person on the street, they're going to lose it. They're going to end up with zero again because it's it's their mental state that's poor. And I, I, I also want to be careful to be very clear that and I use that as an extreme example because I want to be, you know, very, very stark. But it's not their fault that they're mentally poor necessarily. It's the situation they were born into. Mm-hmm. And so, if you look in like India with their their caste system, I mean, that's very legit. I I really understand why it is that people marry of the same class because your ideas are just so vastly different. The way that you approach having money is so different. Uh, For example, I'll I'll use my husband and I as an example. I'm patient. Like I will just wait till I have the money to buy something. If we can't buy it right now, he feels like he'll never get it because in his upbringing, uh, he would get a piano for Christmas, but then two months later, his parents would pawn it to pay the light bill. Hmm. So for him, if he doesn't have that instantly, he thinks it's never going to happen. Whereas for me, I'm like, my dad just said I had to go cut the grass before I could get it. I'm used to waiting. <laughs> Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. So I know I kind of talked around the question there, but I, I hope it makes sense. No, it does. And yeah, I like your view on it. And I, I agree. I'm not into demonizing the rich. But at the same time, I understand people who are upset because... So, for instance, Bezos gave $98 million towards homelessness efforts. Well, then people said it wasn't enough. And I thought, well, you didn't donate $98 million to anyone. So, I mean, like, don't complain. But at the same time, I understand why people go, okay, but you're what, the sixth or the ninth richest person in the world. 
what what is a hundred million to you? Yeah. And you we do want those who have more to give more. The more abundant you are, the more abundant I I would hope that you would want to give back. Because for me, I can say if I had that much to give, I would. But that also does that speaks to our heart and our influence and what has shaped us and what we've experienced. And maybe Jeff Bezos has not started waking up yet. And so he's just not there yet. With with that, if I had this, I would. Mm -hmm. I think that we deceive ourselves a lot of times with that. And so the reason that I'm so careful about really judging anyone, um, I, I, I am, I'm of the, the team. He didn't give very much as far as if you look at what he has available. Yeah. And I also recognize this person that has $20 that they could give, didn't give their $20. Yeah. So I, I recognize the house that I live in could, could house five or six families comfortably. But it's me, my mama, and my husband. <laughs> like, so what? Who am I really to judge, Jeff? Because he he gave what he gave, yeah. and I give what I give. Like, I don't I don't think we can do that. And by the same token, I do see. I mean, if I had a hundred billion dollars, I probably would. I probably would never have a hundred billion dollars. To be honest with you, yeah. Because I would keep reinvesting it into communities and and others. Because there's nothing, there's there's literally nothing <laughs> you can do with a hundred billion dollars. Like there's just like, nothing. It's like I know it, it. It's like you get past a certain amount of zeros, and you're like, it's absurd. It's just yeah. absurd. And what? Why do you want that much money? I always wonder that too. Because I don't know if you've ever done this, but me and my husband have played the lottery dream game every once in a while. You know, okay. oh, it gets real big. Let's go drop five bucks down and mm-hmm. let's talk about what would we do. You know. And that's the same thing that my husband is kind of geared towards community, build programs, help people give back. Like, why wouldn't you, especially in a community that has housed you and has supported you and has encouraged you? It would be a lovely dream if billionaires did that, went back to their hometowns and or went out to the open space in the middle of the country and just set up new communities. I don't know. But to give back. And I think that's why we're so quick to hate and demonize the rich when they don't give enough because we're like, well, but you should. And I don't know, maybe it's if we see them do it, we would be more inclined to do it instead of judging it. And then maybe we're kind of judging ourselves because we're not doing anything either. Or maybe we feel like we're not doing enough. So we project you're not doing enough. I don't know. But it's a, it's a silly cycle. I think we get caught up in and I always ask myself, and I've asked it publicly, I mean, here in my local paper, I've written about it, like, why aren't we just bringing the homeless people in our houses then? We just all sit and bitch about it. But when when did any of us go, hey, you homeless, you want to come live with me? You know, none of us are doing that. Why? Well, we have like a million fears as to why we Mm -hmm. wouldn't do that. And so then what's the next hurdle to jump over after that? And so I think that's where it defaults to government, which irritates me. It always defaults to, I'm not going to do it because I'm scared, because of this, because of this risk, because of this regulation, default to government, but then they don't always do what they say they're going to do. And then we're bamboozled again. That's a big point. Yeah. So with, with the whole thing, it's, it's, a, it's a system. It's a way of life that we've created that necessitates having extreme wealth in order to have any type of influence. And so... 
for example, a, a Bill Gates is very philanthropic, extremely. Mm-hmm. And my, my guess would be, or I'd even bet that if our system didn't judge you based on your wealth, he would actually be far less wealthy because he would give more. But in order to be able to open certain doors, you have to have enough to get through the door. Mm. We have a lovely country club here that um, hosts a kind of a nonprofit leaders dinner every year. And it's, it's you know, just manicured lawns and just luxury up the wahoo. Um, but to get into that club, it's like a hundred or two hundred thousand dollar entry fee wow. as far as, you know, your membership. So how do you get to rub elbows with other people with that type of wealth if you don't have it? Mm. And so that's what I think a lot of the extraordinarily wealthy are, are considering. How can I do the most good right now? Well, I could give away all my money, but that's kind of like giving that man a fish. Yeah. Or I can participate. It's like the matrix. You're in the matrix. So you have to play by the matrix rules yeah. until you break it. And our matrix is government does the heavy lifting. Mm. And government is one of those things where so just, you know, full disclosure, I've had family in politics and some are still, you know, in, in D.C. and doing their thing. But I've I've dibbled and dabbled in or considered dibbling, dabbling in it. Um, but it's a weird place as a pastor because my biggest donors are the poorest members. Those that give the most consistently have the least to give. And I always feel terrible with this little 90 year old grandma who at the first of the month gives us a hundred dollars and all she got for the month was a thousand. You know, Mm. I I feel bad when you have someone sitting next to her that made a thousand dollars that day who put five in the offering plate, you know? So then how do you kind of make that more equitable? Well, you create a, a government that says, we're going to take a little bit from everybody and make sure nobody goes without. The problem is you have people in government who then look down on people without and say, let's drug test the people getting food stamps after they go and snort cocaine or whatever. I don't know if you snort cocaine. I don't know how it works, but (laughs) but whatever drug of choice they're using, you know, or they're they're um, expensive liqueurs, you know, and thousand dollar bottle of champagne. And they're fine with that. But they want to test the the person that's taking two hundred dollars on food stamps like yeah. that's that's where it gets corrupted and it's because they still ultimately are operating from a place of fear where they feel as though someone's taking advantage and my thing about taking advantage is let them take advantage that's just fine there's always going to be a percentage that appears to take advantage but are they really taking advantage or is that just where they are in consciousness I think Mm, of um, our current uh, president. He is what I would consider, and I'm no medical expert, so this is not medical opinion, blah, 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 disclaimer, disclaimer, disclaimer. But he fits (laughs) the the profile of a sociopath. Or narcissist, yeah. Or narcissist. But I don't judge him and say, oh my gosh, he's evil. I say he has a freaking brain condition that is why he acts the way he does. Mm -hmm. And so... If his arm was broken, we wouldn't say, what's wrong with this crazy man only using one arm? We would say, oh, my gosh, his arm is broken. Let's take care of him. Now, by by the same token, that type of person should never be in that type of position. Hmm. 
And so if you put people in positions that they are mentally not equipped for or that their character doesn't support, then that's where corruption in government comes from. I look at Jimmy Carter, who's out there building houses, and he's, what, 250 years old? <laughs> yes. And he, yes. And didn't he, like, pop back from a surgery and get out to, like, building houses or something? Yes. But like, that's his shaming character. Us all right here. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that, that's, that's his heart condition. That's his level of consciousness. Mm-hmm. And the other thing, I get in trouble because I say the things people say behind closed doors on podcasts and on my Facebook page. <laughs> you know, it's one of those things where we all know it's true. It's just, we're not supposed to say that in public. But I mean, our, our world is such that there are people that are mentally ill in positions of power and making ill decisions because of it. Yeah. Well, maybe this is the gift that we need to be more aware as a collective society of mental health. Yeah, no. <laughs> no, I, I agree with you. Um, I, I, I do think there there are going to be a lot of positive outcomes because of how polarizing it has been. But what frightens me is this bandwagon groupthink epidemic that's happening. Mm. I don't want to call it brainwashed or cult, but it is. Yeah. Uh, if you look at what a cult is defined as, we're living it today. Yeah. But the thing is, each cult only sees the other as cultish and doesn't recognize they're just as guilty of being on the bandwagon and not truly thinking for themselves as everyone else. And so this creates this tribalism that is really so far beyond primal that it's frightening for for me. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm like, these are people that I thought I knew that are now reverting and regressing to this this fear-based, lack-based, just us against them mentality that it's, it's literally destroying us from within. Yes. Yeah. We are very divided. And, you know, the most, the most ironic thing is, is every party believes that their party is the best. And they fail to see that they just mimic each other. Mm-hmm. And everybody that puts themselves behind these labels and in these boxes, and I'm like, you all still look the same from the outside. Yeah. And they don't see that. And I just, we'll, we'll all waken up one day to that. But um. And the way that we wake up, though, is this type of podcast. It is the type of bear poking that you do on Facebook. Because until you're exposed to it, there's no way for you to know that there's more. There's different. When, yeah. when I was growing up in my neighborhood, I thought everyone lived the way we did until my dad took me and showed me, guess what? There are people that live like this, and there are people that live like that. And I'm like, whoa, a whole new world. And yeah. like I said, with that billionaire show, I'm like, wait a minute, I thought I was doing pretty okay, <laughs> but this is a whole nother level of okay. And it, it's just exposure. And even when I, like the video that you shared, thank you, by the way, for sharing that one. I do feel like it's just as relevant this election as it was the election I, I gave that message. But I listened to some of the the, thoughts I gave. And I'm like, wow, I just had that thought again from this new level of consciousness. And when I said it then, I meant one thing, but now I'm saying the exact same words and mean something almost, I do mean the same thing, but it's expanded. It's, I said, um, we have to stop seeing each other as different or, or something to the effect of we have to expand our sense of self to include others. 
And I am saying that again. I'm like, we need to self-love better, but we need to include others in our, our vision of self so that they can be loved as well. And when we begin to, to expand our thought to include those that are on the other side of the aisle, those are on the other side of the globe, other side of the galaxy, you know, when we include those in our, our version of ourself, then who's taking advantage? Nobody, because that's me. I'm sitting on the couch getting fat on Doritos. Like, yeah. that's me over there doing that. And it's, it's just an expression. Like, my hard drive can be partitioned into, you know, 10 parts. It's still one hard drive. Well, I feel like consciousness is partitioned into all of these trillions of parts. Mm. But it's one consciousness. And it's experiencing all of these different ways of being and having these, these um, different out-of-body experiences, so to speak. Um, within different bodies. And so that to me, when we expand our expand our sense of self, we no longer worry about people taking advantage of the system or or um, going and going too far or being too generous or being too um, too selfish, too hoarding too much. like we we eliminate those things and recognize like this is all my doing. My reality is creating all of this. We literally are all our own world. Whenever I tell a story, you're going to put yourself in that. You're going to relate to the pieces that you relate to because this is your world I'm living in. This podcast is you talking to yourself about this subject saying, you know what? Yep. That's what I think about this. Ah." And when you want to change your viewpoint, you're going to find, you're going to create a teacher through your reality that, that tells you the next version of what you want to hear. Some people call it their higher self. Some people call it guardian angels. Some people call it God or the Holy Spirit. It's ultimately your imagination. God is your imagination. The Holy Spirit is your imagination. You know, for Christian, whatever it is, that's all your creation. So you're living in your own world, quite literally. Sorry, Mm. I went kind of off there a little bit. I I like that. (laughs) That's good. I no, really, I like that. Um, I have just recently been listening to Matt Kahn. Are you familiar with him? No, but you give me another person for my list. Oh, God. He's like, I'm watching him today like, what? And I sat at dinner today and I was telling my family, I'm like, he's just like, I'm on a new level of wow, thinking wow. And I'm just like blown away by him. Um, <laughs> that was very articulate of me. But he kind of, he has this kind of mindset mentality of like, everything helps everything. Mm-hmm. And I am you. And you are me. Yes. And yes. and you said that too in that in that video that I shared. You were just like, we are everyone. And just and I said it, I think I turned around and I said it to my husband. And he's like, Yeah. You know, and it's just sometimes you hear something, and I've probably heard it before, and I know you've said it before, but it was in that moment I heard it and I was like, Yes. And I think like instantly for me, combined with watching some of these Matt Con videos over the weekend. I went back to a couple of people, um, and if I'm being honest, one I'm set to interview tomorrow, I I had this veil over him for some reason, and I, I didn't like the way it made me feel. It made me feel like I wanted to bring judgment or something, and I was like, I don't I don't know about this. I don't know why I agreed to this. I'm, I'm second-guessing. And after I watched your video, I was like, look at him in a new perspective. He is me, and what is he trying to say? And I just thought when we really look closely at if we're seeing everything that helps everything and if we're saying that you are me and I am you, 
the messages we're all trying to send are so important, so important. Everyone's message is so important. But we're all saying the same message. We yeah. just want to love. Mm-hmm. How can I love? I'm trying to figure out how to love, how to connect, how to join your consciousness with mine. And it just, it can, I, I love when moments like that just stop and give me pause and make me just kind of shift backwards and go, I had all of that wrong, but I feel like I can remedy it now going forward. And part of that is, <laughs> I look back on a lot of things that, uh, I'll say my journey, but a lot of things that I said at one point that I came back and quote unquote corrected myself and said, oh no, that was completely wrong. I'm now back at again, mm. but from a different angle and a different perspective. So for me, I, I at this moment in time, you know, if you listen to this two years from now, it may be different, but at this moment in time, for me, the only thing that exists is love. Mm. So for me, rape is love. For me, beheading is love. For me, stealing is love. And what I mean by that is for something to exist, if, if it exists, it's love because love is all that actually exists. If, if there was no love in that, it couldn't exist. Now, the expression of that love is not necessarily um, something we want to promote. Like, obviously, we don't want men going around raping people or women raping people or stealing or any of these, these things we consider to be evil. But let's take away that evil label and look at it as this is actually love, but where is this love coming from? What state of consciousness is it being birthed out of? What what ah. uh, sphere or realm is it coming from? Because it's love being expressed, but it's being expressed in a way that doesn't um, that is not sustainable. And wow. so my new thing is I want sustainable love because if it exists, it is love. And that's hard for people to get because they're like, no, that's evil. I'm like, yeah, there's no such thing as evil. Evil is simply the absence of love. So therefore it doesn't exist. And if it doesn't exist, it can't be in my realm or my reality. So if it's in my realm, if it's in my consciousness, it's love. But what is it here to teach me? What mm-hmm. lesson is it? Is it shaping me for, for something 10 years down the road? Well, maybe that rape happened because I needed something to trigger me to be able to respond in a new way 10 years down the line. Or maybe like I, I lost a pet and I know it might sound really small, but I lost a pet as a child. And I cried and cried and cried for weeks because I loved that dog. His name was Flame. And we were just best buds. And I had adopted him from a shelter and picked him out and all of these things. And I just loved him and then he was gone. And my little childhood heart was devastated. But guess what that taught me? It Mm. taught me what it feels like to lose a loved one. It taught me what it felt like to be so in love with something that the thought of not having it literally broke broke my heart. And so now I can have compassion on a mother who has a miscarriage or on someone that does lose a loved one or someone that loses a freaking job and their heart broken. I don't look down on you. Oh, you should, you should be stronger than that. No, you should feel what you feel and you should be in that pain and you should be broken because of that, because you actually felt something. So many of us are afraid to to feel anything that now we're feeling nothing and living these facades. And that's why we get lost in social media and all these things, because it takes us out of the present moment because we don't want to experience what we're experiencing. Mm -hmm. But what we are experiencing right now 
is the love of God. And guess what? We are God. We are, and I don't mean we're a part of God or a spark of God or you know God's child. I mean we're God, the thing that created the thing, and God decided to limit itself in this physical form so that God could die, and so that God could get a broken thumb, and so that God could cut its hair and cut its toenails, and so that God could then figure out what God is. Like that's that's what we are, and yeah. so we should like revel in that. We should. We should love that. We should be excited about that. And we should allow it to help us not to take anything so seriously. Wow. I love that. We are God. That's that's a big concept for a evangelical to wrap their head around, though. I mean, how? Wow. So. But here's the thing, even with that, when you go back, and this is what amazes me constantly, I'll listen to even sermons older than the one that you shared. And I'm like, I said that? And I'm like, yeah, you said that. <laughs> but but you go back to the Bible and Jesus is like telling them, you know, 2000 years ago, you, your own book says you're God. Why are you tripping? Because I came and said it. And that's, that's my mm. whole thing. It's like, it, it's been there from yes. the beginning. This yeah. new age stuff isn't new, it's ancient. We're just discovering it for the first time or rediscovering it. So uh, a lot of what I get in trouble for is just saying what people are already saying in a way that they actually hear what they're saying. I noticed that too. I feel like, oh my God, well, this was in this verse this whole time. I actually get it. What I mean, why has nobody picked up on this yet? You know, yeah. do you get to that point? You're like, this is what it means. And it's really simple. Why did we make that so hard? Or someone else unveils something and I think, that's been there that whole time. And I never, until you put those words in this order and now, okay. Yeah, and so there's so many truths revealed that are so simple, but people are like, that's so audacious. That's that's so boastful. Well, yeah, because it's the truth. And that's how Jesus was. He was audacious. Mm -hmm. He said the things that people thought were boastful and shouldn't have been said, but he was like, nope, you have the power to heal, not me. You have the power to change the world. It's not just me. It's all of you. And we hear that said to us so simply and we're like, well, we need this and this and this to get there and make it happen, but we can make it happen. We mm -hmm. have the power. So I'm a former saxophonist and um, really, yeah, I, I used nice. I used to jam. Oh my gosh, I was good. Kenny G had nothing on Will, <laughs> but um, what was really fascinating about that is, and I, I studied voice and theater and some other things too. But the thing that was magical about it is you could spend all day practicing a piece, and it would just be out of your grasp. It's too hard for you. You go to bed, sleep on it, come back the next day, and your fingers just move like almost on their own. And mm. you play it perfectly. And you're like, what happened between yesterday and today? Why is it that now I can play this piece so effortlessly? How did I memorize 250 pages of this script overnight? And I wasn't even thinking about it. Mm. Well, that's just kind of the magic of our universe. And we build even, even unconsciously on things that happen during our day that we pick up on in the background. And it's the same with truths like these, like these eternal ancient truths that are in the Bible, that are in the Quran, that are in the um, whatever holy book you, you ascribe to. It's, it's there, but you can't see it until you're supposed to see it. 
Like they say, when when the student is ready, the teacher appears. Yeah. That that is so true. When when you can hear it, that's when you'll hear it. It's it's not that no one's ever said it. It's not that you've never heard it. It's not even that you don't already know it. It's just that you're six years old. You haven't gotten to your full height yet. That's mm-hmm. all. Yeah. That's all it is. I like that. Speaking of what the universe provides, do you believe? Do you believe that we can? How do I want to say this? Do you believe in the idea of law of attraction that we met, ma- we can manifest things to happen? Or do you think the universe kind of already has everything set in motion and in a plan? And whether we knock and ask, we don't always necessarily receive what we want, but we just kind of receive what we need. As I've been, I've been kind of enlightened to this idea that the law of attraction is false in regard to manifesting the positive in your life to come and it fulfilling your destiny. And it's something that I think is really common in like the prosperity gas gospel preaching. And I think, uh, what is it? The prayer of Yabiz or Habiz that also kind of speaks to this idea but that we manifest things. I've just was recently turned on to this idea that we don't. This this person, Matt Kahn, says it's the flaw of attraction. The <laughs> universe, it's it's ego driven to assume that you can manifest something out of the universe as a as a single creator because we're co creators. And I have to admit, when I first heard that, I was like, Well, that I don't uh, conflicts with what I have thought. But when he put that whole, that's egocentric for you to believe that just your thoughts put out into the universe are suddenly going to change the universe really made me step back and go, oh. And so then, of course, his advice is choose where you are, like choose it. Don't just let it happen to you. Don't just say, I didn't choose this, but choose it and and see where you can grow from it. Or do you think that, no, we can manifest things and that which we knock for and ask for and say we want, we can receive, but we just have to be intentional about it. What do you think about it? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yes. So uh, I've, I've recently gotten back into physical fitness. I used to do CrossFit and all of those wonderful things. And um, I got out of it just for whatever reason, but I'm back into it. So um, my trainer last week corrected my box jump. And so I was just, my, my stance was too narrow. And so when I landed, I was unsteady. So what he had me do was take a step back, step forward, then jump and land in a squat position, then stand up. Mm-hmm. That was his way to train me so that I would just jump from a wider stance and catch myself in an athletic base that was sturdy and stable where I wouldn't fall off a freaking box. Mm-hmm. So taking a step to make the jump wasn't wrong. My initial jump with my narrow stance still got me to the top of the box. Mm-hmm. But the ideal was to jump from that athletic base and find myself on top of the box just as just as I willed it. Just, just do it. You know, mm-hmm. don't think about it, just do it. And so the same is true with the law of attraction. You do attract what you focus on and you also create it and you also choose it. So the, for me, the law of attraction is very elementary school. Um, choosing is kind of middle school. 
creating its kind of high school. And then, you know, higher ed would just simply be being. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, going with the flow. Um, the reality is we're, we're not just co-creators. We are the creator that has chosen to experience itself in multiple facets through relationship, through love, through self-love ultimately. Hmm. So as we choose our reality, we do create it um, in that sense, because there are, for, for, let's back up a step. In order to recognize God as the infinite, we have to first understand what infinity really is. Infinity isn't a number. Infinity is the totality of everything that could be, that is, um, or the, even the potential to be. Mm -hmm. And so when we're, we're choosing, we're choosing out of a potential reality and we're walking down a path. So every option, every door is already there. We're not actually, when I, when I manifest the million dollars, I didn't create a million dollars. That million dollars existed and my path brought me to that million dollars. So if I, if I simply rest in knowing that I'm a millionaire and what does a millionaire do? It, it does this, you know, for example, now I'm starting to dibble and dabble in YouTube. What does a YouTuber do? A YouTuber makes YouTube videos. I don't have to create a video. I just do what I do. And it ends up on YouTube through the process. Now we can call it law of attraction. I thought back to what do I want to be? you know, put some energy on it and then, you know, create and all that. But really the reality is I'm just being, and that's why it's on YouTube. So mm -hmm. does that, does that kind of connect yeah, I like to that. what I mean? Yeah. I like that a lot. That's good. That's good. So I sent you my notes. Was there anything that stood out to you that you wanted to talk about? I'm glad you mentioned your notes. You, I, I, I've said it to you privately, but you have the best notes in the galaxy, like they're fantastic. <laughs> I love the nuggets that you pull out. Um, I don't know what the colors necessarily mean for you personally, but I like the variety and how you highlight different things and kind of go back and then add. And then even the adornments to the pages just make it <laughs> feel like something of, of value and of substance. Um, I did not, I mean, I, I looked at him like, yeah, that's good. But I, I didn't pull out anything I like, really wanted to talk about. Um, I do want to make sure that um, we do dive a little bit into um, your perspective on systems, because that's what I wanted to talk to you about, because I know we've kind of been mm, talking yeah. about them from different angles. Yeah. So you tend to say that systems aren't really a thing because they're made up of people. And I'm like, well, they're kind of people that make the thing. Yeah. So what can you kind of give me a little bit on that? Okay. Well, I mean, the idea of the system of like blaming the system or attacking a system, I, I have a hard time with because I feel like the system is inanimate and it's like the collective. It doesn't really exist in that grouping, but I mean, it exists in that grouping as as you know an entity and a collection of people represented by that entity but for me i always think going to the system doesn't go far enough because it still stems at the individual and i think that just blaming an individual person still doesn't solve the problem and so i just always feel like 
when we go after a system, when we say it's systemic and we say that it's the system that's corrupt, I feel like we're not making people accountable, but I don't want to just make one person accountable because I don't like having a scapegoat, Mm -hmm. but I want to be able to say, what is this person? Who is this person? What made this person have these views to, in, I don't know, I guess inject the injustice into the system that they have? Because I, I look at like, well, the laws were created, but they weren't like, for white people, here's the punishment. And over here in this page, for, for black people, here's the punishment. But there are people represented by the system that, that do dole out punishments in that matter. And so, I don't know. It's just like, I don't know how we go after it and how we change it in, in, in blaming an entire system when it's, I feel like at the root is a heart problem and so can't be really changed cool. by the same methods as we've, as we've used. So, yeah. I, I think we're, we're quite literally on the same page with that. Um, just our phrasing may be a bit different. Um, so, yes, I just said we're all God. And let me just kind of reel that in. As God, we've chosen to limit ourselves to these individual human bodies and, and mm-hmm. experiences. And as such, we are still extraordinarily limited. So when I say this in that context, understand that's what I'm, I, that's the, the framework I'm using. Okay. In the system of it, the, the system is almost self-perpetuating in the sense that once it has gotten a foothold and influence in a person, their actions then kind of transfer that system into the next person. Um, that that way of thinking, that that ideology, that and mimetic so, kind of thing, exactly. Okay. And so it's when when I say let's fix the system, I I'm not not saying let's not fix the heart, but I'm saying what what is first, the chicken or the egg? Mm. Because if you like, you can fix my heart, but then when I go down the street and three white guys in KKK outfits beat my tail. And now I'm like, you know, down with the man. I hate all white people. Is that because I really hate all white people? Or is it because these guys attacked me and now I need someone, something to blame? Mm. And they represent that for me. The KKK is evil now because they hurt me. Mm-hmm. And that's what I think we do. Um, even to deal with the wealth inequality thing. It's like, I'm literally starving. And dude, you own an island. Yeah. This is not right, you know. So I have to blame someone because I know we, we all have this innate sense of justice that we all should have enough. We all should be well cared for, and when we're not, like our very cells cry out and say, "This is wrong. It needs mm-hmm. to be adjusted." And so, until the heart is fixed, the system will remain. And until the system is fixed. You can't fix the hearts because it, mm. it keeps inflicting the same wounds. If I tell you, Danielle, I, I'm really going to just love you today. And then, bam, slap you upside the head. Are you going to trust me the next time? Hey, I'm going to love you. Mm. You're going to say, oh, sure. And then let, let's say you do forgive me. And it's like, OK, I'm just, he had a bad day. And then 10 years later, I'm still hitting you upside the head every day. At some point, you're going to be like, yeah, something's wrong here. Mm-hmm. You know, and it's it's the same thing for people that have found themselves on the unflattering end of the system. 
Um, you look at a school like Harvard with something like a 50 or 60,000, thousand, sorry, 50 or 60 billion dollar endowment. What the heck are they doing with that money? They have to pay taxes on their endowment because they don't mm-hmm. spend enough. <laughs> like that's that's insane in a nation where you have people that are in $100,000 of college debt because yeah. someone told them, if you go to college, get get this degree, you can get a good job. Well, guess what? They went to college. They got the degree. But when they went to get the job, it wasn't there for them. Now what? Well, we shouldn't forgive their student loans because I paid mine back. No, you're, you shouldn't have had to pay yours back either. You should have never been in that predicament. You chose to get those student loans. No, you didn't. You didn't have a brain to think what's going to be happening 10 years from now. You know, so it's yeah, all of these interconnected yeah. pieces. And it's, it's so complex and so it's so universal, yet so individualized mm-hmm. that it makes it hard. <laughs> like it's a hard thing to do. So um, just to kind of sum up, when I talk about the system, I, I really mean the thing that makes people's hearts the way they are. I like that. That's a good clarification. I don't think everyone thinks about it the way you do, though. They don't. And that's the other thing that makes it hard is like we all have our own language. We have our own language and and we're trying to communicate. Like I'm trying to put in your head these pictures that are in mine using the tools I have called words. But you also have your worldview and your experience like you. You are a farmer, right? Right mm-hmm. about that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, like your experience, you could survive. Like you'll make it. You'll be fine. <laughs> yeah. I, I'm not. I can't. You're like, no. I am. Yeah. No. I need my bubble baths. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> you know. So we just have such different worlds. Yeah. That when we're trying to talk to each other, we miss each other because we're literally in a different universe. Yeah, and we expect that we're all coming from the same, and, and we're we not. Think we're coming from the same. Exactly. Which is why conversations are so important. They are. Because then you can ask the question and say, what did you mean by that? Tell it to me a different way. What what are you trying to say here? And then you're like, oh, I'm trying to say that too. We just, you know, we want the same outcome, but we're looking at two different trees here, you know? Yeah. Yeah. No, I love that. That's the one thing. My husband and I do that with each other. You know, one of us will say something, the other us will give us this look like, huh? Uh, let me say it in a different way. And then we say it again. Oh, okay. Well, why didn't you just say that before? You know, before right. before there was a conflict. But, and I, it's so silly because sometimes we have that ability to do that, like on social media. I do that with people. I will open up my messenger audio video and I'll be like, we are going to talk this out right <laughs> now because that is not what I meant. And I don't want you thinking that that's what I meant. And because we want to read tone into mm-hmm. text is it's ridiculous. But yeah, I know I appreciate you breaking down how you view the system because it's, di- it's completely different than a lot of other views of the system that I've been presented with. And regardless of what I think about the system, I think ultimately getting at the problem is, is what we all want to do. And right. I mean, especially for me, the homelessness thing, it stings me deep because I think, well, I don't have that big of a house, but I still have room. And I can't sit here and point my finger at other people for not doing enough until I'm willing to do something. Yeah. And that's what it is for me. And so if I can't put up or shut up, I'm just I, I'm just not going to bring you some judgment about it. I just I just not going to do that from now on. 
And that's something that I'm working with too, just looking at all people and going, I'm not going to leave you with judgment. If I, if I can't leave you with anything, then I'm just going to walk away. The last thing we should do is leave judgment with each other. Yeah. Like silence would be better, I think, mm-hmm. in a lot of cases. And I think if we took that approach and took it down to the, the tiniest level, like the smallest infraction, we would all be in a better space. Yeah. Because what happens is, like I, I used the extremes of rape and beheading and all of that earlier, we think that those things are bad. But what hurt me as a child, like deeply, is when people didn't say hello. <laughs> like yeah. you see me sitting here, say something. But how many people have we not said hello to? How many mm-hmm. people do we just walk by and not even give a smile to? We well, don't even acknowledge I'll, them, yeah. I'll do something that that meant the world to me and you didn't even say thank you. I'll tell you a a quick story. So um, it's not a thank you story, but um, as a child, um, my dad was on the first floor bathroom doing number two. That's off the back end. So um, (laughs) my mom and I were, were like by the door for whatever reason. I think we were going out the garage or something. The bathroom was right there. And his, his, experience was audible (laughs) and so she giggled and we both kind of giggled at it but then that made me so insecure like oh my gosh i'm just never going to poop in anyone's home (laughs) but you wouldn't think of that as a trauma but that has stuck with me and i i still don't poop in public (laughs) it's it but it's because of that moment so we don't think about how these tiny little things yeah. actually are can be just as impactful as these things we think are huge. I know women that have been sex trafficked and they are so free and so open and so just, you would never know. And then I know women that someone slapped them on the butt and now every man is, is the devil. So it, it's, it's individual and we just have to, we have to stop, number one, stop expecting more from others than we do for ourselves. That's big. But then also not not minimizing the impact we have, both positive and negative. Because who knows what world was changed? My fourth grade teacher, she changed my world. She introduced me to reading. Now I write books, you know? So it, the whole gamut is there. The whole spectrum matters. I love that. That's good. Right, well, I think I want to leave it right there give my audience something to reflect on and as always I appreciate all of your words I appreciate you I just want to say thank you again for joining me for another Mm -hmm. conversation